The problem when you buy package deals is that there's always bad lots in them. So what I normally do with those lots, because I don't want to kill the deal, right? I'll donate those lots to one of the organizations within the same county. And then what happens, and guys, this is a huge golden nugget that I'm about to drop on you. A lot of the political people sit on the United Way board or whatever that non-for-profit organization is for that area. You now become their biggest contributor when they sell that lot. They want to have lunch with you. They want to talk to you. They want to know who you are. This is your in. Welcome everyone to the Cassandra Properties Podcast. We're joined today by Daniel Barrero. We have a, a Staten Islander in the house, actually. He's got an amazing story. He's the founder and president of USA Land Ventures. He's an investor that's been involved in countless, countless units from fix and flips to buying packages of land, breaking them up and selling them individually. Uh, he is a renowned speaker in teaching realtors how to find the investor, think like the investor to target them so that they can generate repeat business. Uh, really excited to have him on the show today. Daniel, thanks so much for the time. No, thank you. I'm, I'm humbled to be here and thank you for the invite. Well, guys, uh, it's our pleasure for the folks out there. Daniel is a great follow on social. So we'll go over the tags and they'll be in the links below, but uh, I enjoy watching you on social. It's, it's, you, you've got that kind of thing about you. There's oh, thank a you. Comical side and a, a pretty serious <laughs> side and you pull it together real nicely. So I appreciate that. Well, we appreciate watching it. Um, so Daniel, you know, you're a very, very accomplished investor. Um, you're a thought leader in the space. Uh, everything from, from, you know, doing the actual transactions to teaching, empowering, and uh, imparting leadership to those who are trying to grow in the business, fix and flips and uh, buying land packages, something I had done back in 2008, 9, 10. Uh, you know, did you, people like to get a flavor of how you kind of came to be in the real estate game. Can you walk us through, you know, the early years? Was real estate always top of mind for you or? Yeah, I, I, yeah it's, um, it was one of my goals. So it's funny, since I can remember, I always wanted to be wealthy, right? How was I going to get there was the objective. Um, you know, how, how did I make that happen? So when I came out of school, when I graduated from college, I actually went back to my old neighborhood where I felt most comfortable. And I opened up a video store. That was 1985. Um, that was my first business, which was right across the street from where I literally grew up in my father's bodega um, since the age of nine. Uh, so it was in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, Fort Greene, Brooklyn, if I, many of you may be familiar with it today, it wasn't what it is today. It was considered to be the okay corral back then. Um, I can't tell you how many people thought I was nuts, including, you know, uh, a lot of members within my family. Um, and within four years, I was able to save enough money to buy my first property, which was on a Delphi street between Myrtle and Park. It's a two-family two home, uh, pre-war construction brick. I bought that for $72,000. Uh, it's worth today about $2.6 million. Wow. Uh, only because of where its location. Um, and I constantly tell everybody the real money in this business is on the long-term hold. You know, your fix and flips are great for short-term capital, but your real long-term money, the, the real money is on the long-term hold um, on the asset appreciation. So um, having said that, um, I bought my second property in Park Slope, Brooklyn. At the time, it was a two-family with two stores. Um, it's now four-family with two stores. We added two apartments to it. Uh, we went up. 
and that also is, is a phenomenal piece of property not far from the Barclay Center. And it just so happens that my dad, who had the bodega across the street, across the street from him, there was a, a lot that was constantly being dumped on, uh, garbage. And no matter how, who we called, it never stopped, right? And so he said to me, find out who owns this, let's try to buy it from them. We ended up buying it from the woman who owned it, who was only a block away, she lived a block away uh, for $70,000. It was two lots together. Um, we rocked it, we fenced it, we cleaned it. And literally we just had no intent. We didn't know what we were gonna do with it. We just knew we wanted it cleaned and we, we didn't want any more dumping there. And within the same week, people were coming into the, to our business, whether it be my father's bodega or, or my video store, asking us if they could park their cars there. So the light bulb went off, right? Wait a minute. So we could actually charge people to park cars here. <laughs> and we ended up parking 20 cars. So within a year, we had a developer approach us. They paid us $160,000 for something we bought for 70 the year before. And we were like, all right. So I went across the street and I contacted the owners there, bought two lots from them on the opposite side of the corner. They didn't know what was what I was negotiating or what for. They thought I was doing them a favor buying this, right? For 70,000. Yep. Um, so we bought that for 70,000. When we closed, I fenced, I cleaned, I moved my people who were paying me to park their cars across the street to the new lot. And that fit 21, 22 cars, two additional cars. Um, literally within the year, we sold that for 335. Wow. Uh, when they saw the development happening on the corner of the, where we had the first property we sold, took the money again, did a 1031, bought a property around the corner, another vacant lot that was double the size, two, two, two lots that was double the size there. We were fitting over 25, 30 cars, same thing, $150 a month. We cleaned it, we fenced it. Uh, the difference we took and we bought uh, two more buildings. We used it as down payment money, uh, two more four family properties in the same area in Fort Greene. And as well as the lot across the street, or rather around the corner, five and a half years later, we sold that for 1.6 million. Wow. And then did the same exact thing again. We took all that money and instead of buying more lots, we went and bought more property. You know, we started sprinkling it all over Fort Greene and, and using it as uh, seed down payment money, 20, 25% down on other properties. So from a really a very, very early age, this was just kind of in your blood, right? Value Pretty much, yeah. We, I knew I wanted to get into it. We just didn't know how. Um, but, you know, it was funny. I didn't even know what a 1031 was when I did my first land deal. It's when the, my attorney, uh, Mr. Mr. Schumann said, you need to do a 1031. And I was like, what is that? You know? Um, so it was, I can't say we were, we were brilliant, but that what I can say is that we were disciplined. We didn't use any of the, of the profit money to, to enrich, you know, our lives with, with, with consumer items, such as cars or homes or vacations or furniture. You know, we literally took every red cent and reinvested it into long-term uh, cash flow. So delayed gratification. Totally. Right? Yes. That is something that is lost almost entirely on, on folks. In many cases today, they don't understand um, how critically important it is, especially when you're starting, that you resist that urge to go out and to buy the new whatever it is the new car, the new house, go on those vacations. It's so critically important because if you're, if you're going to get in this business and you're going to stay in this business and you're going to compound, 
those initial first few deals really provide an Absolutely. unbelievable springboard. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah. Well, you know, I hear it all the time. How do you get to that level? How do you get started? Folks, that's it. You know, if you're going to jump into the game, you've got to be super, super disciplined and, and really make sure delayed gratification. It, it can't be like a, a part of your principles. It has to be the principle. You've got to take the money, take the profit and roll it over. You know, I've, all of us entrepreneurs, if you will, Daniel, share some sort of common thread, you know, is the, the entrepreneurial spirit something we talk about a lot today. Uh, there's a lot of folks after coronavirus that are kind of trading the nine, nine to fives to, to pursue entrepreneurial interest. You know, do you think that that's something that can be taught or is this something that's just born in some folks? I think, you know, we could teach it as much as we can. It's unfortunately, though, most people don't adhere to it. So it's funny. I get people all the time who come to me for advice about entrepreneurial. They, they want to, whether it be the real estate side of the business, any business. And I tell them, and I, to, to an extent, I even try to discourage them. It's because this is not an easy life. Actually, if thinking back throughout my lifespan, I, I start to think, well, I must have been insane. You got, this is an insanity lifestyle, right? You know, um, I don't have to tell you, you know, when you're sleeping, you're thinking, right? How many times I, I'm sure you've had the same uh, situation where you're thinking about your business and while you're sleeping, you come up with an idea and you have to wake up and write it down before you forget it. Right. Oh yeah. Or, you know, while you're, you're taking a shower, you're thinking about all the phone calls you have to make or, or, or the, the workers you have to speak to or the contractors or, you know, the, the leads that you have to follow up on. Um, you can't, there's always a dilemma that you're resolving. That's what we do as real estate investors. We, we're resolving people's problems, you know, that's, and we, and as a result, we get paid handsomely for it, but we're problem solvers. And, and if you're not a problem solver, if you're a drama queen and you think, and you, and you try to make things bigger than what they are, you know, this is, don't, don't become an entrepreneur. Yeah. So uh, Without question, we were just reviewing core values here and problem solver is something that came up over and over and over, right? Where we're empaths, we have to feel what the other person is feeling, right? right. Understand what their mindset is. Their mindset has to be bigger than your mindset. People ask all the time the secrets of being a great deal maker. If I could impart any gift to people, it would be empath, being an empath, empathy. If you know yes. how people are feeling, you know what they want to hear, when they want to hear it, how they want to hear it. And your job is to bridge that gap, right? Uh, but that comes with a heavy toll. You know, it's not something that you can shut off. It's no. not something that, you know, just goes away. And, and I hear this sort of stuff. I'm sure you do all the time. Uh, you, oh, you're addicted to your work and this is all that you know. And, you know, <laughs> it, it's not something you can turn on or off. It's, it's no. there or it's not, right? It's, it's either you got my accountant, Mr. Hyde, you know, Carter his soul. He was my accountant until he was 92 years old. And he used to say, either you have it or you don't. That's you know? it. <laughs> That's you it. Know? You can't yeah. teach it either. You have it or you don't. If you have it, we could teach it. If you don't have it, we could teach it until you're blue in the face. You'll never get it. And it comes with immense, immense sacrifice. Yes. You know, the, the countless parties that are missed and events with the family and just time and time again, unfortunately, disappointing uh, family members because, you know, work is just, it, it, it's almost all consuming. 
Look, the reality is the first seven years that I opened up my video store, I didn't take one day off. Not a Christmas, not a Christmas Eve, not a New Year's, not a New Year's. I was open every single day. Uh, the first three years I worked by myself, with the exception of my girlfriend, who's now my wife. When she came home from work, she would, you know, bring me dinner and we would eat together behind a counter in between customers and, 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 and you know, work. She'd work with me until 10 o'clock at night. So, you know, the reality is entrepreneurship gives gives you the financial freedom, but it doesn't give you the social freedom that everyone thinks we have. Yeah. Um, until until you reach a certain plateau, of course, right? And then at that point, yeah, of course, then then you reap the rewards of your hard work and your sacrifices. Yeah, without a doubt. So uh, it's funny you're talking about not taking a day off, and and that's not at all foreign to me, right? That's yeah. that makes complete sense. Well, of course, he didn't take a day off. He started a business, right? You know, <laughs> we do a lot of, of business coaching now, and one of the exercises I've I've talked about this briefly before. Um, was to have my wife fill out some of the questions that the coaches were asking. And I've been married now for 14 years. And uh, one of the questions was, when was the last you know, day off? Was it a, a week ago, a month ago, when you were off, off, where his phone was off and not answering calls? <laughs> and she responded, we've been married for 14 years. He's never taken a day off, including our wedding day when he had meetings in the morning. That's so funny. I had two meetings a day. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Yes. It's crazy. So I'm, I'm working hard now to try and find the balance. You know, you do it's, get to a it's, point. It where is difficult. I'm not going to kid you. It is difficult to find the balance. Uh, but as we get, as I get old, I'm starting to realize you got to smell the roses, you know? Um, and, and, and listen, we all have different uh, values as far as what makes us feel rich. Um, a car does not make me feel rich. A nice car, um, actually, it, it it angers me if I if I when I spend a lot of money on a vehicle and it's sitting in the street, yeah, because it's depreciating. I'm thinking about all the other things I could have <laughs> did with that money to make me more money. Um, but my vacations, for instance, you know, I take three vacations a year with all my children and my wife. And, and listen, the reality is my kids are are adults now, uh, but that's I love watching them enjoy the fruits of my labor while we're on vacation because that's a memory that doesn't depreciate um so those are the things that make me feel rich and those are the, and, and and now at this time in my life i could do that but it's as a result of me sacrificing but alongside like you you mentioned your wife and your kids do as well uh sacrifice alongside of you so that you could achieve your dreams no no doubt about it and we all have different love languages right things that right. make us tick uh, and and seldom is it the material things for the entrepreneur that really is what drives them. Those are things that come along with it, and it certainly is is a, a nice thing to be able to fall back on. But uh, more often than not, it's not what what makes us tick. You know, no. your Instagram, uh, as I had mentioned earlier, you're a great follow, and and you you talk about your dad a lot and him being a mentor. I was wondering if there's a few things you could share. Some of the things maybe he's he's taught you over the years. Yeah, it's funny. I just did one uh, and I mentioned about shining apples and my, my, my brother calls me up and he says, we need to do a video just specifically on shining apples. 
So my father had a really big deli side of his of his business. Uh, he was close to the to, to the navy yard. There was a lot of uh, uh, ships being built back in those days. He used to sell tons and tons of sandwiches. And my brother and I, <laughs> our job because we were there all summer, we would get there at six in the morning with my dad. And our job, what he would pick up uh, uh, three cases of apples every morning on the way in. Everything had to be fresh, right? So we'd leave the house at four thirty in the morning. He'd, pick up his produce and then and, and we get to the store and we'd have to take we'd have to wash the apples and then we'd have to take western oil with paper towel and put a little western oil on it and we shine each apple right and he had a big display right in the refrigerator in the front by the cold cuts and another one on the counter and he'd sell literally i don't know how many i don't remember how many apples were in those things but at least 150 200 apples a day right <laughs> so we were shining apples because and then when I was 14, my, my dad took off a week and I was in charge of the store. That was my first uh, experience of being the real boss, right? And that week I told my brother, I said, we're not shining apples. Well, you know, we only sold maybe a half a case of apples a day. I believe it. <laughs> so by Thursday, I said, we need to start shining apples. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, what the point is, um, I learned how to flip property by shining apples. Property, all you're doing with property is just shining it. That's you it. know, giving that curb appeal, cleaning it up, uh, doing all the things that the previous owner was too lazy to do, or, or maybe you know was incapable of doing it, either for physical reasons, economic reasons, whatever the case may be. Um, to all we're doing as real estate investors on a daily basis is two things resolving someone else's problem and then shining the apple. I love it. Yeah. And I learned that from my dad, shining apples. So do you work with other family members now? I do. So my brother, David and I, we work together. Um, you know, my younger brother, Derek, he's involved with, with some of the properties that we do own because he was uh, involved with in the earlier years. So we're partners with that. Um, but primary, I take care of all the properties. I, I, I pretty much run the day-to-day -day operation on the properties um, my, my, my partner that I'm on a daily basis with is my brother, David. We do everything together, our fix and flips as well in the state of New Jersey and Florida. Uh, we have many doors that we hold, as I said, multiple times, the real money in this business is in the long-term hold. And, uh, we love the condo side of the business, especially in central Florida. We've got over 150 doors there. Um, so he, he handles the day-to-day -day operations with, you know, as far as maintenance is concerned and repairs and, thing, and, and, and the renovations of that side. Yeah. So could we talk a little bit about the portfolio, you know, uh, buying and selling a couple of lots when you were younger is one thing. Growing it and scaling it is a, an entirely different animal, especially when it's not a localized portfolio. There's a lot of challenges that come along with that. Uh, can you walk the audience through kind of the, just the gap between having a few lots in Brooklyn to hundreds of doors down in central Florida and literally thousands of flips along the way, there had to be a hell of a story in between, right? So, you know, we were doing extremely well in the early nineties, right. In, in New York, but at the price, it got to the point where the, the fundamentals didn't make There were no fundamentals. The yep. numbers weren't making sense. And we found ourselves stagnated. And my brother-in-law, who's an incredible businessman out of Miami, 
uh, kept talking to me about Cape Coral, Florida. And my dad was at one, you know, after about six months, he says, look, every time he comes to New York, he's talking about Cape Coral. You know, he obviously knows what he's doing. He does well. Let's let's take a trip out there. So I said, sure, let's go. Um, and I bought my first six properties for $3,000 a lot. There was absolutely nothing there. You could drive for 20 minutes. You saw no house. It's Cape Coral, Florida is out of Lee County. Uh, you could fly into Fort Myers. Um, the woman there that, that my brother-in-law introduced me to, to this day, I still do business with her. Her name is Lucy Quinones. Um, and I said to her, why would anyone buy here? Because I'm coming with a New York mentality, right? Sure. Um, and she says, come here five years from now, there'll be nothing available. So I bought six lots. We go back, I decide, I talked to my brothers six months later. He said, yeah, go buy your six more lots. Whichever ones you pick is fine with us. And now the prices have doubled. Um, they're at 6,000. And again, didn't make any sense, but I bought them anyway. Um, so the first six lots, I actually put three lots each under my daughter's names. Uh, in, in their trust accounts and those lots when they when they were ready to go to college i sold them at uh, around fifty five thousand dollars a piece um literally so i have the degrees behind me only one of those is mine the rest belong to my kids um and th that's their gift to me that you paid for it so you might as well have it <laughs> so it reminds me though every day when i walk into my office what i do this for but, you know, literally those three lots each paid for the majority of their college educations. So essentially that $9,000 gave me back $165,000 in return. Wow. Each, right? So, but the, it didn't make sense the way it, it raised so quick. Yep. So we started moving more north. We started looking for other areas in Florida where it did make fundamentally uh, sense. Um, and back then it was, we didn't have the internet at, that we have today. So we had to do a lot of traveling. Um, and, you know, we did a lot of research it was much as we researched, we could do from here and then we'd get in a plane and then go confirm our research. So 90% of the time, whatever we thought was there, we came back not buying because it, once we got, once we, we got our feet on the ground and we were driving around and we started talking to, to people and, and, and going to the buildings apartment and asking certain questions, you know, it didn't make sense. So we ended up in an area called Sarasota County. We sure. bought a lot in Northport and in Punta Gorda, which is a, a gorgeous area. But the developers were right on our heels. They were coming in right behind us, right? And they were always bringing in the num up the numbers. Um, so as we kept going up north, and now we're up in Putnam County, uh, we're buying heavy there, real heavy right now. Um, the numbers all make sense. There's a lot of everything around it is blowing up. Every single county behind it is around it is blowing up. Uh, Marion County, which is Ocala, Flagger, Be Flagger, which is Flagger Beach. Above you have um, St. Augustine. Uh, above that you have Jacksonville. And then they're doing a lot of road expansions uh, that is making uh, com easier for commerce. So these are all the things we look for, right? Um, we, we look for... Um, where if the big box stores are opening up, uh, we look for if road expansions, we look for hospital expansions. You know, we, we look for what the big boys are doing because they're putting in millions of dollars, right? Yeah. Um, and then that's how we decide where we're going to buy. So in 2010, we started buying a lot around Lake Mary, which is in central Florida. Um, and the reason we were buying in there was because 
we, we had done our research. We had been speaking to a lot of people. We were going to a lot of council meetings and we knew they were going to really start developing um, uh, the medical center that was there. So we were buying lots there at, you know, $3,000, $5,000. And then we, when they went up to 30, 40, we sold them. So are you buying these lots that are in plant and subdivisions already, or are you buying big pieces that I, I don't, are being acquired? It, it, and it totally later? depends. So if it's in a subdivision, it depends on the HOA uh, if they're if they're organized or not. If they're not, I don't buy in it. It also depends, um, you know, if the HOA is already uh, charged a previous owner for the for the hook for the water and sewer coming across their land in front of their land because I don't want to have we don't know what that is and that's a big variable. Um, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to sell that to an investor that may, may get stuck with that unknown variable, because at the end of the day, I've been doing this since 1989. I have the same office phone number since 1985. I'm not going to change my number. I'm not going to hide from anybody. Right. So we want to make sure that when we sell to another investor that I can't guarantee they're going to make money, but I could guarantee that I'm selling it with good faith that they, that everything around it indicates they're going to make money. Got it. So, gosh, there's so many questions I want to ask. Um, <laughs> are you buying, are you doing these kind of one-off acquisitions or are you buying packages, you know, distress It sales? all depends. So we have people that go out there literally, then they get paid per deal. Um, they're on the team. Um, and I don't care if it's one lot. I don't care if it's 150 lots. I'll buy them all as long as the numbers make sense. The problem when you buy package deals is that there's always bad lots in them. Yep. Um, they'll either flood zone, severe flood zone, or they're either wetlands, or they're either um, uh, locked in, meaning that there's no access to it because there's lots all around it. So what I normally do with those lots, because I don't want to kill the deal, right? Yeah. I'll donate those lots to one of the organizations within the same county. So the Boys Club of America, if, if their camp is near there, United Way, every county has their own United Way. And then what happens, and guys, this is a huge golden nugget that I'm about to drop on you. A lot of the political people sit on the United Way board. Whatever that, or whatever that uh, 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 non-for-profit organization is for that area, you now become their biggest the contributor when they sell that lot they want to have lunch with you they want to talk to you they want to know who you are this so, is your this is your in so i didn't i don't sell the garbage lot because i don't want it associated with me mm -hmm. i donate it i get the tax write-off and it gives me goodwill in the community so uh, he said that was a, a a huge nugget and i have to put a an exclamation point on that when you're especially if you're in a, a location that's not your kind of home turf right when you have the ability to sit down with the movers and shakers the decision makers the policy makers in a location that's new to you that's where you're able to glean a lot of that information that's, that's where right. you're able to to understand and see where is the growth and what is the opportunity you know you had said you felt it in the 90s certainly we feel it today the barrier to entry in New York for real estate is extraordinarily high. No, right? it, it, and to me, to be honest with you, it's got to be a really sweet deal for me to buy now in New York. 
I mean, look, everything I have is long-term and I don't sell anything I have in New York with with the exception of it having been vacant lots. Um, I don't sell anything with a structure. No, I shouldn't say that. Four years ago, I sold on one, a deal on Spring Street, but that was because it it was such a ridiculous number. Yep. It it would have been foolish for me not to sell. Um, And I took that money and I turned that into an 18% cap rate, moving it over to Central Florida. An 18 cap. 18 cap. Wow. And, and, <laughs> and it's increased in asset value at about 13% per year. Wow. Yeah. So f- about four or five years ago, we started screaming it from the rooftops that there was a decentralization of real estate happening in the major cities across the country, right? We started to see... Um, a new metric that traditionally wasn't really accounted for in the analysis, and that was legislative threats. We started to find that the legislative threats were becoming so profound that it made sense. We told all of our clients, we do a lot of consulting work, get out of multifamilies, get into logistics and property if you wanted to stay local, or decentralize and go look at some of these emerging markets that are all the rage now, right? If you look at the top 10 growing markets four, five, eight, 10 years ago, and you look at what they are now, they're completely different. So if you're an investor that is uh, either doing a friends and family raise or they're trying to scrap together money and they're getting started, you you can't start here anymore, right? There's not that you just, to start, if you don't have a couple of million bucks, you just can't do real damage. So for those who are, are looking to pick an emerging market, it seems like they're everywhere now, right? Are there certain metrics that at the global level you look at that, you know, give you a kind of a sense, you know what, I need to get boots on the ground and go check things out there? So uh, I'm in a different position in my life, right? Um, I am... Now, when I look at a deal, I look at the deal for every reason why I shouldn't take the deal, not why I should. Is that I'm not sure if I that makes com- complete sense, right? There's a certain measure of risk that every investor has to understand going in. You're now at a place where your threshold for risk has changed, and you're looking at the reasons not to buy a deal. And if you can't seem to find enough reasons to not buy it, then you go ahead and take the step, right? Precisely. So. You know, and it's not as much about the risk anymore as it is about the time that it's going to consume, because, like I said earlier, you know, you get to a point in your six in your in your in your travels that it's time to t- you know smell the roses. Yeah. Right. Literally. Um, so now it's all about how much time is that going to take, vert, and it do, does it justify the possible income that I can make, right? So. Yeah, I, I do look at a lot of emerging markets. I got to tell you, Connecticut, there's a lot of places in Connecticut that are really still good. If you're under four units, uh, Dayton, Ohio, another great place. Um, the, the cap rate is huge. You know, um, I would tell you Central Florida, but the numbers have creeped up so much, the crap rate's going to look, you're looking at about six to 7%, maybe eight if you're lucky. Um, I don't, I don't, don't go anywhere. Okay. I shouldn't say that a lot of, a lot of people out here teaching, you know, it's all about the cash flow, and I don't teach that my teaching is it's all about the asset appreciation 
the cash flow is just the extra. That's the cash flow is paying you to manage that property while the property is appreciating. If it's not going to appreciate, I, there's no reason why I'm going to get into it. And if you're not walking in with a minimal of 30% equity on a deal after your after your renovation costs, your 30 that 30% equity after your renovation costs is your profit for having taken the time out for the renovations. Okay, so you're not looking at deals, and, and I want to touch on that for a minute because I think there's a lot of people that are taking that other advice that are in for a world of hurt when the market changes. Oh my God, the, this market right now, you want to play in it, and you want to if you're going to you know you're going to be left without a chair when the when when the music stops without a yeah, doubt. I, I couldn't agree more. So you're not looking at a deal unless. Uh, after you're completed the repositioning or the fixing or whatever it is that you're doing, you've got automatic 30% equity off the hop. And then you're in a market where the appreciation potential is going to outweigh the cash flow benefit in that moment. Absolutely. Okay. And what a lot of people are doing now is they're buying cap rate deals just because interest rates are so low, they're enjoying that Delta. But when the markets turn and rentals soften and rates shift, because a lot of these products that I see, people are opting to save a half a point, the three quarters of a point or a point to get an, a variable rate instead of locking in to historically low free money interest rates. It's insanity when I hear people tell me that. I just had a student call me yesterday and asking me if they should do that. And I said, why in God's name would you do that? You're at three and a half percent. And say, well, it's a half a percent less. I says, What's the cap over the term of the loan? He says, well, it could go up no more than eight, eight, eight points. So I says, so you're looking at maybe 11 points. Why would you do that? I says, do you realize what it's really costing, what that three and a half is really costing you after you take the tax deduction? What is it costing you? Two, two, 2.75? Mm -hmm. That's free money. Free money. I mean, when I started in 1989, my first mortgage was Greenpoint Savings Bank at 18.9% with six points. Guys, this is free money. Yep. And and it's not going to be free forever. No. Okay. I know a lot of people have been talking for years about rates going up. They're going to go up. Inflation is here. Inflation is coming. Um, it is absolute insanity. If, if there's any takeaways from this, if you've got those opportunities to lock into fixed product and, and the banks are going to discourage it, right? Because the banks aren't stupid. They're no. going to try and incentivize you and, and, and put you in a position where you're jumping for that variable opportunity today because the banks aren't in it for a two, three, five-year run. They're in it for the long haul and rates inevitably are going to go back up. When I started, it wasn't quite as high as you, but the first deal I did was, I think, either 11 and a half or 11.75. Oh, and it was a couple yeah. of points and it was a good rate at the time. Yeah. So that was like 1998, I think. Probably. Yeah. 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 That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And it made all the sense in the world back then because prices were reflective and rates go down, prices go up. This is a cycle guys. Look guys, I love inflation because I, I do much better when inflation rate is high because I saved my money. I live below my means. So now when I go and I go to make a deal, I'm coming in with all cash. It doesn't matter to me if the inflation rate is high or the interest rates are high because I'm not going for a loan most of the time because I'm using yeah. my own cash. When the rates come back down, I'll refinance that property, take my cash back out, and I'm ready again for the next, for the next cycle. So are you investing in any 
commercial, like retail office buildings, any of that type of product or I'll do, I, I, I don't want to only because again, let's go back to what I said earlier. Not that it's a bad deal, but at this point in my life, it's all about how, where am I going to spend my time most effectively with the biggest return and still work less, if that makes sense. Right. Sure it does. So I do like buying commercial. What I really like buying though is mixed use properties. Um, that way it, um, I, I, I'm laying out my risk among residential and commercial simultaneously. Yep. So I love, but if I buy in city environments, I love to buy mixed use properties on main street, always buy mixed use properties. So you're, you know, you're not, uh, neither am I, we're not spring chickens, right? So something amazing about you is you've got a crush social media program, right? Oh, thank you've got you. tremendous followers, great engagement, great reviews. You know, you and I weren't born with cell phones in our hands. No. And, you know, and, and I have a, a full service brokerage here and I, you know, we're constantly bringing in, you know, the young guns and even though it's second nature to them, we fight constantly to try and get people to produce more content. How did it become like a, 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 such a, a natural thing for you to, to do the social media thing? It's not as natural as it looks, trust me. Uh, <laughs> well, you do a hell of a job, so. Um, you know, so I've, my kids had been telling me for years to get on social media and I was like, absolutely not, no way. I don't want anyone knowing what I do, right? Uh, I was always that person who wanted to fly below the radar. My brother, on the other hand, was the person constantly arguing with me, like, listen, we need to show people who we really are. They'll want to do more business with us. And I was always resistant to that. Um, and I, I, my daughter, one of my daughters, who's actually, when she graduated, she got into the social, in, into the digital marketing uh, sector, and she does extremely well. And she set up all my accounts for me and she just kept pushing me. And she says that, you know, I see, cause she would forward me links of other people giving advice. And she said, what do you think about this? And I said, this, this guy's crazy. Why would anybody listen to this person? Um, and she says, this is why you have to do it. And it turned out that I, I, I really love, I didn't realize how much I was going to love helping people achieve their success. Yeah. Whether, whether it be through real estate or anything else, because the reality is you and I both know is, is certain basic uh, aspects of entrepreneurship that goes across any business, right? Um, and I really enjoyed just watching people grow. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't get, and then after, in COVID, after the first two months, I got bored because I caught up to all my work. So <laughs> I really dug deep into social media and I, I, I'm not going to kid you. I learned a lot. And yes, I, I do a lot of, I, most of my content is all me. 99% of my content is just me on my cell phone, you know, on a job site, you know, on my travels, what I'm doing on a daily basis. Cause I want to, I want to explain, I want people to understand the truth. This is not an easy business. I'm not that because I'm not selling anything. I don't yep. charge for anything. Yep. Um, I'm not selling mentorship. I'm not. This is all free. I even do a free mentorship class every Wednesday night to anybody that wants to join. All they got to do is uh, go to my website, sign up, and they'll get a link every week. So thank you for that, by the way. 
um, because most, most times people are selling stuff. And I think that that you hit the nail on the head. That's probably what's so different about you is it's just authentic. You, you're telling a story, you, you do a series of videos, which I like, you show different parts of the renovation at different times from an initial walkthrough and acquisition to some of the problems and challenges that you come, you don't hide that stuff. You show no. the genuine side of, of what you can encounter in this game. And then you show on the disposition side, you've had your attorney on, like you've really kind of opened it up. And, and I, again, I appreciate that because a lot of people, they don't, they don't show that everyone's always in a suit and that, you know, at the closing table no. and smiles and checks <laughs> and, and they live. I'm showing yeah. you, I'm sitting in my work van Yeah, <laughs> and it's a dusty old work van. Uh, you know, it's not, it's no, I, I want people to know the truth. It's not, it's not as glamorous as it appears to be, it, but it's extremely rewarding if you could stay the course. Yep. Yep. So the real real estate podcasting and um, just in general, the podcasting, uh, are you enjoying that part of it? You know, there's like a, a whole community and a subculture I found in podcasting. What's your experience? Well, I'm not, like? I, so I'm not doing the podcasting. It's literally a, a Zoom meeting every Wednesday night um, with the exception of, of the summer months. I'm only doing it twice or twice a week, twice a month rather, um, because, you know, it's, it's summertime. I want to take it easy. You know, it takes time. I do a lesson plan prior to doing this. I actually have a lot of guests on people I've actually done business with mortgage brokers, uh, real estate brokers, um, attorneys, you know, explaining what's the difference between an LLC and an S Corp and C Corp, a partnership agreement. Um, you know, I, I actually have people on that I actually do business with, right? Other real estate investors that may be in a different part of the of the of, of real estate investing that I'm that I'm not in, for instance, uh, like deed in lieu of trust, for instance. I've never I don't do those. But if you go out south, if you go south, if you go out west, that is actually a common practice. But I don't practice in those areas, so I I brought in people who actually do, you know. Um, so I try to educate not only on what I do, what I, I'm an expert in, but if I'm not an expert in that field, I try to bring other people in that I've actually done business with that are, that do practice within those fields that I don't, I don't normally practice in. So how does, uh, is there even an opportunity to do business with you at this point at your level? I mean, do you take investors? Are you just looking for deal people? I'm, I'm constantly looking for deals. And you know, one of the, one of the things that has, has happened that I, I was a little surprised at, you know, when you do, when you do the right thing, the right, I guess, you know, it comes back to you. So I've had students go out there, look for deals, come across a deal that they can't handle. My brother and I'll step in, they get paid as a wholesaler, but what they also get is they get to stand next to us on a daily basis while we bring that property from the beginning to the end. And yep. they're learning the entire process. Yep. So could you I'll explain? Get, I found deals that I would have never gotten is essentially what's happening. Well, it, it's a round world, right? And when right. you put good out there, it, it absolutely comes back to you. And, and I know you've been on several podcasts because we've, we've listened to them and we've actually been on some of the same shows. Uh, and for me, the, the podcast was something that was way out of my comfort zone. We started this during coronavirus um, same thing. We kind of caught up and we were like, shit, 
we got to do something, right? We got to keep busy. <laughs> yeah. So we, we started the podcast during coronavirus. It's grown exponentially. And so I got to tell you, your guests are phenomenal. You, thank you're you. bringing in some super good guests that are, that are bringing tons of value to the public. Thank you. It, it's, uh, uh, I actually think I want to write like a book about the, the first year. There's a, a subculture and a community of people that are so willing to help. Yes. They just want to get on and talk like yourself and share what are legitimately, and he's got this on his, his social media, guys. You'll see um, golden nuggets or the nugget drops, like That's you'll see right. the tags uh, and listen to them because they're, they are gems. They are legitimate golden nuggets. And people are, you know, there's this whole culture of folks that are just so willing and eager to share and help. It's been an amazing, this last year has been unbelievable for me just through the podcast alone. You know what I found, James, and this was one of the other sides of the business that I was pleasantly surprised with. The people out there like yourself and me, it's unbelievable how much we, we, we enjoy talking to each other. Yeah. And I'm not going to kid you. You know, I thought in the beginning they were my competitors, but in reality, the more I talk to my competitors the more I'm actually learning because they're doing things differently. Right. And I'm doing things differently. So we're picking up things different from each other. And this goes across not only locally, but nationwide. Um, so like Mark, for instance, he's out of California. Welby, he's out of Connecticut, you know, I, I, uh, Chris Haskins, he's out of Virginia. Um, I can't tell you how much I've learned, but I've learned more from the younger generation, the 40 and younger, because they've embraced technology because I guess it was so easy for them because they grew up with it. Yep. And they're actually teaching me how to be more efficient with new technology that I was too uh, scared to do earlier. They've taken me out of my comfort zone. Yep. And I got to tell you, I'm loving it. And I only wish I could live another 50 years so I could see how this entire landscape of a business is going to change over the next, I mean, it's what we see today will not exist even 20 years from now. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I think that real estate has been one industry that while it has changed with technology, if you think about how everything else we do from what we eat and how we treat our health and how we travel and how we communicate, it has been profound change. And real estate is that kind of clunky industry that's starting to take those little steps. But man, I think we're in for a revolution. I think it's going to be exciting as hell. Um, we're developing apps that are deal source apps now. There's so much neat stuff. And you're right, having the, the younger guys around to kind of teach you these different tips and tricks and little nuggets that they have in the digital space. Yes. Right? Yes. It's pretty wild stuff. It is. <laughs> Listen, Think about this. Would you, could you imagine 1998 when you were doing your first couple of deals? DocuSign. Nah. Or Zillow. Think about that, right? You know. Um, how far is the MLS? I, I find that the MLS has come far, but not. I don't think the MLS has actually kept up with uh, the speed of the change in the industry. For instance. Yeah, they, they haven't. And, you know, uh, when I started, there was no... There was no modems. There, there was a book, right? Right. You got the book and right. you sat and you literally, and, and people asked me, what do you mean you got a book? How did you know what was new? 
you read the damn book. Right. Yes. Right. When the book came out, it was this thick. Yeah. And you sat and you flipped through and you put little cards in for the different clients and you wrote it down yeah. on a piece of paper. When you wanted to research land, you pulled the microfilm, you found That's the right. card, you put it on and it made the image. And we used to take tracing paper and we would trace it out and then we would send it to clients uh -huh. and we were the innovators back then, right? right? And, and if you wanted to read articles, you have to go to the public library and take right. out the microfiche as well and then look it up and try to get your information that way. Yeah, yeah. so listen, yes, I, um, I don't, like I said, I wish I could live another 50 years just so that I could watch how things have, things have changed and sit there and enjoy it. Yeah. I'm not gonna kid you, I'm, actually, I'm loving it right now. Um, I get to meet people like you, right? Um, Absolutely. And and we're meeting tons of. I'm, I've I've never been so social actually, um, until until I've uh, mastered this platform. M me either. Uh, I think we both were probably head down guys. That uh, same thing. I I resisted any notoriety. Any uh, to me, it was you keep your head down, you keep your mouth shut, and you work. That's how we were taught. Right. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, when you lift your head up. There is quite an amazing world out there, and and uh, I, I can't be more appreciative for guys like you taking the time that have had so much success to come on and to share with the audience some of the tips and trinkets. You know, Daniel, this has been an absolute pleasure for me. I was really looking forward to this. Uh, folks, it's, it's Daniel Barrero. He's the president and founder of USA Land Ventures. Definitely check him out on Insta, Facebook, LinkedIn, all the, the platforms. He's got a, a, he's a really great follow. Uh, so Daniel, thanks again for the time today. I really, really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. And I got to tell you, I'm extremely humbled to be on your podcast. I, like I said, you do a great job and I'm really impressed with all the guests that you have on. Well, thank you very much. As always out there, everyone keep the comments, suggestions, criticisms, all of it. Keep it coming. We love it all. Stay safe, everyone.